Amen. Well, it is such a joy for us to have you. Wendy, if you want to come up, we'd love you to come up, um, join us here. I'm so excited about this morning. Many of you are very familiar with Stephen and Wendy Backland. They've both ministered at Northlands Church in the past. Stephen and Wendy together founded Igniting Hope Ministries out of a passion to see lives being transformed by minds being renewed. And one of the many things that I love about Wendy's ministry is that she ministers from a place of revelation. And there's always an impartation of fresh hope and joy and revelation of God's goodness. And there's a hunger. I think you, you just ignite a hunger for the things of the presence of God. So we, we just love that. I do highly recommend her books. I know um, as the, la the ladies went through Living Unseen a while ago, but let me just tell you, if you have not read Living from the Unseen or Victorious Emotions, I highly recommend them. They really are life-transforming books. Wendy, we consider you a friend of the house, and we receive you today as a gift from the Lord. So thank you for being with us. We are expectant and excited about what you have to, to bring. So I want to pray for us. And let me just say, if you are here today and there's a sense of hopelessness, I believe God's going to change that to hope. So would you just open your heart and your spirit to say, God, I'm receiving your hope, because that is an impartation that Wendy brings, but we need to be open to receive. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for Wendy. Lord, we do. We receive her, Father, as a gift from you today. And Lord, we open our hearts to receive the revelation that we bring, that she brings. Father, I do pray that even as Wendy ministers to us, as she pours out, Lord, that you would pour in. Lord, we just release refreshing over her, that you would fill her up to overflow, Lord. We thank you for her, Father. We thank you for her ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. <laughs> wow, what a privilege and honor to be here. There's a few reasons why I like to be here is, one, it's a really healthy church, you know, in the spirit. And the other is, <laughs> Michelle and Greg actually like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they brag on their people. And uh, don't take that for granted. You know, when Steve and I first became senior leaders, um, I think it was 1991, and we would go, we were all excited, you know, this is our first place that we're senior pastors. And we went to the first denominational ministers meeting where all the, in the region, and they all sat around and complained about their people. It was like, it's the people's fault. <laughs> yeah. And Steve even, you know, kind of fell into that trap because you kind of become like what you're around. And he even complained to God, you know, he said, if, you know, I could really do something, you know, in this town if you gave me better people. And uh, God said, no, it's not your people's issue, it's yours. You're not seeing them correctly. And the beauty of the prophetic movement that was coming out at that time was 
we had a prophetic person come and started calling people out and giving them identity. And Steve was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea we had so many powerful people. And, you know, beginning to have hope for them and belief in them is so crucial. And uh, so we began this journey of hope, not only for ourselves, but for other people. You know, the hardest person to have hope for is the people that you're closest to. Because you see all their feelings. You see, you know, it doesn't seem like they're changing, God. And um, actually, to be totally honest, I think this is where Steve learned to have hope because I didn't look like I was changing. But the beauty of it was, is at first he tried to change me and transform me into his image. And then God began to talk to him and said, you know, this isn't working, obviously. You know, only took five years. And he began to call out the gold in me and tell me, you know, he he began to see me prophetically, not according to my past experience, but who God said I was. And something shifted in me. But I'm really excited to be here because I am so excited about the year 2021. Anybody else excited? I feel like God is setting us up. There is going to be a, because I think what, what we've realized is that we cannot change our, our country, our city, our, our churches by doing the same old, same old. We need something more. And people are realizing we need the supernatural like never before. We need to know that we are not just human beings And we can't limit ourselves to just, you know, well, I'm only human. I used to say that, and God said, that's unscriptural. According to the Bible, you're a whole new creation. I love the scripture in 1 John where it says, as he is, so are we in what? This world. And I was meditating on that one day, and God said, you know, you've been patterning patterning yourself after an earthly Jesus. When scripture actually says, as he is now, how is he? He's resurrected. He's seated at the right hand of God. He is not limited to this natural realm. And how you define yourself will be the limits that you place on yourself. How you define yourself will put the limits on what you think you can do. The problem is, is we tend to think we believe everything the Bible says. At least I did. I was positive I believed everything the Bible said. Until God challenged me and he said, Wendy, do you believe that I'm going to meet all your needs? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Quoted scripture at him. You know, 
I got that, God. And he said, then why are you worried? And I'm like, well, do my emotions have to believe it too? And he said, that's how you'll know whether you believe it or not. If your beliefs haven't changed your emotions, you don't believe it yet. So God started taking us on this journey of hope, and I thought I had hope. But all I had was a theology of hope, but I didn't have any emotion of hope. I love, um, let me see. In Romans, let me find Romans here. Romans 4. It says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not, this is verse 16, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. And verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And I think it's very tempting to look at what's going on in the world in a really negative way. You know, I can't do this, I can't do that. Um, what about the, you know, unrest politically? And there's all this stuff that we can focus on. But the main thing to remember is that whatever you give attention to will get bigger. Whatever you magnify will get bigger. And God began to talk to me about it's not enough to just, you know, oh, I'm going to pretend like there are no problems in the world and think that that's faith. <laughs> when the children of Israel came to the promised land and God said, I've given you the land and they go and check it out and the 12 spies come back and they all come back saying the land is great, but 10 of them say we can't take it because the giants are so big and they magnified the giants. And Joshua and Caleb came back and they did not come back in denial. They also said there were giants in the land, but they magnified their God. You know, we can talk about the facts. The problem is, is most of us Christians don't know when we're stating a fact and when we're stating a conclusion. 
about the fact. It's okay to say there's a giant in your land. Just don't say it's bigger than you are. (laughs) I remember thinking one day I was meditating on that and I had this revelation because I used to think, oh, those, those silly tin spies, you know, God said the land was theirs. Why did they doubt? And then it hit me. They were thinking, if God's given us the land, why do we have to fight for it? Have you ever thought that? If God's given me healing, why do I have to fight for it? If God's given me provision, why do I have to fight for it? If these promises are true, why do I have to fight? And I heard God say, you know, remember in Ephesians 6 when it talks about taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I remember having this revelation, oh, it's called a sword because we're supposed to kill something with it. What's the giant keeping you out of your land? We've had some fantastic promises. You know, even at the beginning of 2020, there were so many good prophetic words going out and promises. And then by March, it was like, well, I guess God's forgotten this year. (laughs) But we need to stand up with the word of God. It may not happen the way I thought it was going to happen, but I'm still taking my land. What God has given me is mine. And the biggest giants that are preventing us from taking the land and the promises that God is giving us is the giant in your own mind. Your belief systems. You know, like Abraham, we could just say, well, now, you know, I don't see how it can happen. I'm so old now, and Sarah is so old. It would take a miracle. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This is our season to actually begin to believe in the supernatural. The reason, you know, it doesn't matter who's president, because when the church arises and shines, kings will come to their rising. Presidents will come to their rising. When they see a church who has more than just good character and just, you know, a loving heart, and they see a church that's full of power and walking in the supernatural and in their true identity, that's when they'll know we need what they have. As a church, we don't want to be able to offer them what any good, you know, charity work can do. I believe in charity. (laughs) But let's do it as sons and daughters of the Most High, knowing what we're capable of. And understanding the supernatural realm. 
you know, this is my passion. You know, it's why I wrote the book, Living from the Unseen, is I tried for the first 10 or 15 years of my Christian life, I tried to be a good Christian. You know, I served in the church, I did things, and, but I was very unhappy. It was hard work. And I, there was just this feeling of, you know, when I first got saved, there was this excitement. This was, there was this feeling that I was a new creation and I could do all kinds of things. But then that new creation, that spirit part of me was just taught right out. And it became performance. And just to be honest, I'm not a good performer. I was trying to act like a good Christian. And God said, Wendy, when you act like a good Christian, it's called acting. And you can only act for so long. You can act like you have hope. You can act like you believe. But if you don't feel it on the inside, you're going to get weary and tired. And that, that's not for condemnation, but it's for the realization is if we don't know what the problem is, we have a problem. And it's about understanding what true belief does. When we get into inner unity with the beliefs, and it's not just a theology, then we begin to flow out of an identity. And when God began to tell me who I was, I, I argued with him. He started giving me prophetic words about, you know, teaching and, you know, being powerful. And I'm like, no, you don't know me at all, God. I'm shy and inadequate and I don't speak well in front of people. And when I, you know, I don't even speak well one-on-one, -on -one, let alone in a group of people. And he said, Wendy, that's not who you are. That's just who you've become. And I realized I'd been defining myself by my past experience. I had allowed my past to become the god of my future. That's what we do every time we rehearse what the past was. We are making it the God of our future. Because faith is visionary. Faith isn't blind. <laughs> it's visionary. And for me as a Christian, I had a hard time with faith because I couldn't see anything. The reason Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that came back with a good report, were able to to come back with a good report is because they saw something nobody else saw. They saw themselves as powerful. They saw the enemy as being beneath them. But we don't, you know, as a, as a group, a lot of times we don't spend time allowing God to paint us a different picture than the one we've already experienced. 
don't know, most of us are unaware how often we rehearse negative experience. And it's affecting our hope, it's affecting our joy. And part of that is because in the past, the church was so afraid of pride, at least for me, that I never, I tried not to notice when I was successful. Because I didn't want to, you know, glorify me. So instead, I would rehearse the last great failure over and over again. That is not going to fill you with faith and confidence in your future. <laughs> and the worst part about it is that according to the studies I've done on the brain, is your brain doesn't know the difference between an actual event and a rehearsal in your mind of the event. So if you offend me and I go home and rehearse that offense 30 times, the next time you see me, you're going to wonder why I'm overreacting. <laughs> All I did was, and I'm like, no, in my mind, you did it 31 times. What are you rehearsing? It's why people say things like, you always. No, they don't always. It's just that you only rehearse the times they do. And if you don't rehearse things, it gets flushed as inconsequential and you won't even remember it. So if you have a stronghold in your mind, like it talks about in um, 1 Corinthians 10, I think, it talks about tearing down strongholds and taking every thought captive. And they've proven that your brain really does have strongholds. It's deeply, you know, there's pathways in the brain that you build through rehearsal. So if you keep rehearsing your last great failure, you will define yourself by your last great failure. You will feel like a failure even though you've had more success than failure. Because your brain won't even remember the success because you didn't give it any weight. One of the things God told me is, he said, Wendy, you will know what you really believe by what you're preparing for. So, I thought I believed that God would provide for all my needs, but yet every month I was preparing for lack. What am I going to do when not enough comes in? What am I going to do when this person fails me? The interesting thing is that we have this need to protect ourselves from things that we've experienced in the past. And what God began to show me was that, Wendy, you won't need to protect yourself and prepare yourself for the worst if you define yourself correctly. 
if you really believe I can do all things through Christ, then you're okay with whatever comes at you in life. I'm going to be okay. I don't need to spend all this time, you know, putting all this stuff. I'm, I'm not talking about healthy boundaries we have and, you know, having margin in our life. I'm talking about the fact that a lot of us are trying to protect ourselves from being hurt. or something bad happening and us not being prepared and we don't take any risks. And it, the limitations we put on ourselves when we are in protection mode is crazy. I mean, I lived defensively for so long. The thing that really set me free, because I, I, I had this fear of, you know, our heart is deceptively wicked, and, you know, I don't want to be deceived by the enemy. So I, I never grew. I was like, I don't want to be deceived, so I'll just camp right here. Even though there's no power in it, <laughs> I'm not changing. And then Bill Johnson said something in the 90s that set me free. He said, most Christians have more faith in the enemy's ability to deceive them than God's ability to lead them. One of my favorite quotes is by Albert Einstein. And he said, I believe that it's only daring speculation that will take us further, not the accumulation of facts. I believe it's only daring speculation that will take us further. And that's what we need to do in the spirit. Let's be daring. Let's be daring to believe things in the Bible that we've just, you know, glossed over because we didn't understand. One of my favorite stories, probably shared it here last time, but I'm going to share it again anyway, is having read a secular book by a brain scientist who had a stroke at the age of 35, and she completely lost the use of the side of your brain that you need to be a scientist. So her mom was helping to rehabilitate her. And the first thing that the doctors told her is, you know, do toddler puzzles with her, you know, like a picture of a cow and has five to 10 pieces and it'll help develop that brain again and get it, you know, the muscle working. And so she dumps the puzzles out on the table and she says, okay, honey, the first thing we're gonna do is turn all the pieces right side up. And she said, what's right side up? And she goes, well, look, one side has color and one side doesn't. And she said, what's color? Because she wasn't seen in color. So somehow, and this boggles my mind, I'd like to read how she did this, but she began to talk to her daughter about color and hues and depths. And in the book, the scientist said, as soon as my brain understood the concept of color, I began to see in color. And then her mom discovered she was only seeing one dimensionally. So everything looked like a photograph. 
And she said, in fact, her sense of dimension was so impaired that she couldn't tell where she began and ended. So her mom began to talk to her about dimension and how you could tell some things are further away and some are closer. And she said, as soon as she understood the concept of dimension, she began to see three-dimensionally. And I read that, and I just, I looked at God, and I said, oh, God, I've been reading the Bible all wrong. Like the mother. The God, God actually wrote the Bible to give your brain a concept of another dimension that you have access to as a born-again Christian. If the Bible hasn't changed your view of reality, you haven't used it correctly. If it hasn't made you think that it is now possible to do what in the natural looks impossible, whether it's walking on water, praying for multiplication of bread. See, this is supposed to be normal Christianity. And the whole idea of angels, I mean, that's a story in itself. I've always been kind of puzzled by the fact that we think it's so spiritual in the Bible when they talk about angels. But if your neighbor says that they saw one, they're not spiritual, they're weird. Right? And I love in Acts when Peter's in jail and all the disciples, they're in this house and they're praying for Peter and Peter gets out of jail through a miracle and knocks on the door and the servant girl opens the door and she's so shocked that Peter's at the door, she slams it in his face, runs to the disciples and says, Peter's here. And they're like, it can't be Peter, it must be his angel. And I'm like, in what world is that more likely? <laughs> really? Is that what you would have thought? If I was in jail and you guys were here praying for my release and I came to the door, what would be your thought? What world are they living in? But we have this fear of the unknown realm, of the unseen realm of angels. You know, it says in the Bible that angels are messengers. They're supposed to be talking. They're ministering spirits. But we tend to want to, buy, because of our fear of the angelic, and, you know, I might start worshiping them or, you know, we shouldn't, you know, be having, you know, a, a communication with the other side or whatever we're thinking. We try to bypass God's governmental structure 
When Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days and he was weary and tired, he had been going through spiritual warfare and he's done, you know, with the warfare, but it wasn't Holy Spirit who came to comfort him. It was an angel, a ministering spirit. But I don't want to talk to angels. I might start worshiping them. Well, don't talk to your dog then. <laughs> Where does this stuff come from? We're the only ones with legal access to the unseen realm, and this is what the world needs today. The world needs people who know that they are born again of the Spirit, they are seated in heavenly places, and that's not just a theology. If you're seated in heavenly places, what are you going to do about it? You're there for a reason. You're the only, we're the only ones with legal access to both realms. Because we have a body and we have a born-again spirit. Nothing's more irritating to me than getting people born again of the spirit and then telling them to stay out of the spirit realm. This is why so many Christians are feeling discouraged because we're trying to get them to live a supernatural life while they believe they're just a human. We have to learn to walk in the Spirit. When the Bible talks about walking in the Spirit, it's not talking about just walking in good character. It's actually learning how the realm of the Spirit works and how we access it. So that we can bring the kingdom realm into this realm. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we have the responsibility. And we have to get over our fear of what if I'm presuming? What if, you know, I get prideful? We don't think a, a little kid is prideful when it's trying to learn to walk. Why? Because this is what it was created for. When we're born again of the Spirit, we have to stop thinking it's prideful to want to do what our daddy does. This should be normal. And I love this year because I think we're all getting dissatisfied with normal. And we have some extra time to spend in the presence of God, to redefine ourselves, not just how we view ourselves in our head, but define ourselves to a point that we feel differently about ourselves. Because I had a low self-esteem for most of my life, when people didn't like me or they overlooked me or, you know, my goal kind of back then was to just not be noticed anyway. But it was like confirmation, yeah. I'm of no value. 
And God said, Wendy, you'll know you really believe you are who I say you are when someone overlooks you or rejects you and your first instinct isn't what's wrong with me, but what's wrong with them. Now, it may be me. I'm not denying that. But if you constantly assume you're the problem, it's because you have a belief system that's out of whack. Every time I tried to do something in God and, you know, pray and nothing happened, um, you know, I spent the first 10 years of my Christian life waiting for God to zap me, you know, so I could be something I wasn't. And when he didn't do anything, my conclusion always was, there's something uniquely wrong with me. I'm still not good enough. I'm still not worthy enough. He can't trust me. It always circled back to here. But it wasn't until I began to sacrifice my beliefs about myself that I had experiential proof of when God told me, you're not shy, I'm like, excuse me, I've got experiential proof and an emotion of shyness, therefore I am. And he said, are you willing to sacrifice that belief? It's much easier to sacrifice your time and money than it is to sacrifice your beliefs because they feel so true. They are these strongholds in our life that put limits on us and define us by our past. And then by faith, we have to pick up some new beliefs. And the key is realizing that we actually understand you know, for instance, an apple tree is not called an apple tree because it's had apples. It's just not. Because if it dies before it has apples, it's still called an apple tree. The point is, it doesn't get its identity from what it's done or not done. It gets its identity from what it was created to do. And that's how we're supposed to start thinking about ourselves. We're not supposed to create an identity by what we've done and not done. We're supposed to create and define ourselves by what we were created to do. But to do that, faith actually needs to be, see something different. Faith is visionary. And the Old Testament went in, they use the word imagination in the Hebrew. It literally means a framework for something. And one place I read that it was like a place of conception. When I read that, I thought that's interesting that our imagination is a place of conception. Or in other words, your imagination is the womb of faith. And what is the seed the Word of God. And the best way to nourish 
the seed of God is to use your imagination in hand in hand with the word of God. So that it begins to give your mind a concept because unconsciously we read the word of God as if it's not really real. It happened. And we kind of think it's just something God made happen, but it's not an actual um, way of living. And part of that is because we think that the unseen realm has no substance to it. That's how I thought. It was like, yeah, I believe in it, but it doesn't feel powerful to me because, you know, all the ghost movies I've seen, when someone dies, they have no form. Until one day God said, Wendy, do you know how I got into the locked room? You know, after he died and the disciples were in the locked room and he just appears. And I'm like, well, yeah, you were dead so you could walk through walls. And he said, no. And, oh, I said, because you have no substance so you can walk through walls. And he goes, no, I'm more real than the wall. He said, the creator cannot have less substance than the creation. And he began to talk to me about the fact that if spirit created this realm, then guess what can influence this realm? And guess what you are? Your spirit. This is why the whole earth is groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Because you have the same spirit within you that raised Christ from the dead, you have this life within you that actually can influence the natural realm. But most of us never define ourselves that way. We tend to think we pray God does. But in actuality, what would happen if a policeman refused to arrest a criminal because they didn't want to usurp the judge's authority? We have the same delegated authority that a policeman does. And I knew, you know, when God began to talk to me about this stuff, it was like, oh, my God, you know, I've got all this teaching about, you know, you don't want to steal God's glory, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to rise up above what everybody else is doing, you know, let's just be safe and everybody lay at this level. Then a few people, you know, inch up and believe for a little bit more daring speculation. So I, I'm talking to God about this, and he go, I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to steal your glory. And he said, you can be as glorious as you want. And I'm like, that can't be God. And he said, yeah, don't worry. You'll never come close. <laughs> right? 
And it dawned on me, the only people who are afraid of stealing God's glory are the ones who don't know how glorious he is. The things of heaven don't have the same level of markings, you know, that, that, or worth and value that we have. And I really believe, you know, this is my theory, is that, you know how when you have a family and you have little kids and you want them to take ownership and, you know, so you teach them to take out the garbage or maybe fold some laundry so that they are part of the group. And I think I could picture the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, we've got all these new kids in our family. What can we do to have them feel like they're a part of the group? And God's like, yeah, something simple. And Jesus says, I know, I know. Let's have them heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. And God's like, yeah, let's have them take out the garbage. So, Father, I thank you that we are not only more than conquerors, we are something the world has never seen before. And I pray that all of our eyes would be open, that we'd be willing to have daring speculation about what you can really do through us as we seek your face and we allow you to define us and we remove the limitations. So Jesus, thank you that this is our year to arise and shine. This is our year to arise in our true identity and taking back the authority that Jesus has given to us. And I bless this house. Father, I know you've done a great work here. And you're just pouring fire on it. And people are going to rise up in power and authority that they never dreamed they could rise into. And we bless each one in Jesus' name. Amen.